Good morning. My name is John, and this is my wife, Emily, and we'll be reading today's passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to, be, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you, not, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Um, if you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we have not met yet, please do me a favor, introduce yourself to me afterwards. I'd love to meet you and get to know you. And as I say this every Sunday, it's our goal that you feel welcome here, that you feel like you're a part of the family. To bring you up to speed, we've been in a series, a church life series called Love Your Neighbor. And today is the final message in that series. And uh, this is uh, uh, the last week before we head into Advent. So I'm looking forward to Advent this, this December. We're actually going to look at the Advent of, of King Jesus through the lens of the tabernacle. So um, I'm uh, looking forward to that quite a bit. Now, um, we, the reason we've been going through this series, Love Your Neighbor, is because as we evaluate the health of a church, we want to make sure that we're loving God, that we're loving each other, and we're loving our neighbors. It gets real easy to neglect the love our neighbors piece of a healthy ministry. And we wanted to make sure that, that we didn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings about the idea of loving our neighbors, but that we were encouraged by the gospel and King Jesus to actually love our neighbors to put our money where our mouth is. And so we've been kind of hitting that pretty hard over the last uh, couple of months. And some of you even wrote down names of a neighbor that you're praying for 
Or maybe you didn't write their exact name or maybe a, a, a different name just to protect their privacy or whatever. And you put their name on the board. That's what that board in the lobby is all about. Those are all people. That board is filled with people that you're praying for. And I want to encourage you to continue praying for them. And if you haven't written one down, you can add a name. We've got cards and pens in, in the back. But we just want to make sure that we're encouraging each other to actually love our neighbors. God commanded us to love our neighbors, and most people don't even know their neighbor's name. So this is really countercultural. I mean, the kingdom of God is countercultural, and, and especially in, in our suburb uh, area, part of San Diego, people, when they get home, they have automatic garage door, they go in, the door closes, and now they're in their little hole of their house and don't, never talk to their neighbors. Uh, God's called us to make sure that we are loving our neighbors. And so that is why we have been camping out on this uh, topic. Normally we go through books of the Bible, but every now and then we'll do a church life series to address an issue that we believe is timely for our church. Today... We are looking at John chapter 13, and this text, this passage that was read to you this morning, that we read together this morning, is all about love. And so what in the world am I going to say about love that's new? I mean, after all that's been written, everything that's been said and sung, how am I going to say anything that isn't tired or stale or cliche? Well, here's my idea. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Jesus wanted to show his disciples, as it says in verse 1, that he loved them to the end. Now, out of all of the illustrations that Jesus could have, have used, of all the illustrations he had to choose from, he chose foot washing. Now, I am confident that if we meditate on Jesus washing his disciples' feet and what it means, I'm confident that if you listen, if you engage, if you switch your mind to, to learning mode and, and you're actively listening and applying the truth of Jesus, that your heart and your life will be changed and you will begin to love your neighbors the way that Jesus does. In fact, you'll love your neighbors indiscriminately. So... That's where we're headed. Jesus challenges us here to love people the way that he loves people. But we don't, do we? You know what I'm talking about, right? If we're honest, we have a long list of exceptions, don't we? And if we're gonna love our neighbors indiscriminately the way that Jesus loves, we need to know the kind of love that Jesus is challenging us to have, challenging us to give. But we also need to know why we fail so miserably out, why we have this list of exceptions, people that we have subconsciously or consciously decided we're not gonna love. Somebody else can do that, right? So first, if you're following along with that uh, handout in your bulletin, first is this. When Jesus washes feet here, he gives us a challenging command to love. It is challenging for sure, and you'll just, we're gonna, we're gonna camp out on that. It's gonna feel impossible. And it's also a command. 
It is not a suggestion. It is not a recommendation. It's not a good idea if you happen to feel like it and you're having a good day. This is a command to love. Jesus says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, first of all, I like how he just simply identifies himself as their Lord and teacher. No question. He has the authority to give us this command. And then he basically says, love is washing feet. What in the world does that mean? Well, he uses this act of service to teach us four challenging truths, four challenges that you will face as you attempt to love the way that Jesus loves. And the first challenge is this. I'll just rattle off a handful of them. Uh, Love is serving others even when it seems totally insignificant. It's way easier to serve, right, when, when, when it feels significant. Now, I, I confess this before. I'll confess it again. Every single weekend, I feel the pressure of, of having a sermon ready for Sunday, right? I can't just skip Sunday if I don't have a message, And if someone, as I'm preparing, somebody in my family comes to me with a need that might seem insignificant to me, it's all too easy for me to think, you know what, I have more important things to think about. Get away from me. I'm trying to work on a sermon about love. (laughs) But check out Jesus. It says in verse 3 that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God. That phrase right there and what it means, it leads us to realize that if anyone had the right to say, sorry, I have more important things to think about right now, it would have been Jesus. But it was exactly at this time In in the worst, uh, just the worst valley right now, exactly at this time that Jesus is thinking about washing dirty feet, it's in this time that he is thinking about the the practical needs of of others and expressing love towards them. But, you know, when the pressure is on for me, I mean, I'm totally horrible at this. I think we all need to realize that God has deliberately placed you where you are in life, with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, God in his sovereignty deliberately placed you among those people. Now think about the way that you move through life among those people that God has deliberately placed in your life. And ask yourself, am I looking, actively looking for ways to love and serve them? Too often, I mean, it's because it's so easy to be focused on ourselves, too focused on ourselves to wash feet or to even notice anybody else. Anyone else here totally mess this up besides me? A couple of you, okay? I'm with you. We'll pray for each other. Next, love is serving others even when it's not obvious to others. It's a little easier to serve when you get the recognition, right? 
I mean, we can serve with enthusiasm when, when people are, are watching. And maybe because people are watching, we're a little bit more enthusiastic about it. But how would you be if God pointed to a basin of water and asked you to wash the worn out feet of a weary, homeless refugee day after day, month after month, when nobody saw and nobody cared? Jesus didn't need recognition. He just loved people. He never said, okay, men, look at me. Behold, I am now going to give you a demonstration of true service. Observe my awesome humility. That wasn't his style. That wasn't his heart. He just slipped from the table with a towel, a pitcher, and a pan, and he began washing feet. So what about us? Do we serve the people God put in our lives when no one sees, no one knows, no one cares, or do we need the recognition? Next, love is serving others, even when it's inconvenient. I hate this one. This one's tough. This was an inconvenient time for Jesus, to say the least. I mean, he knew. He knew that he was about to be nailed to the cross the very next day. And in just a few hours from, from now, he would be praying in the garden in so much agony that he sweats blood. And if it were me, I would be saying, you know what? This really isn't a good time for me. In fact, I think you should wash my feet right now. But Jesus shared all the love he had in his heart. When it was inconvenient. So what about us? Do we serve our neighbors after a stressful day? Do we serve our neighbors when we're going through hard times? And you know what, many do. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it's like miraculous. But most of us need to look at our lives. This is the love that, that's, that, that Jesus is challenging us to. And if this challenge isn't, you know, too much already, we also see that love is serving others even when the people we are serving are inconsiderate. It's easier to serve people who are kind, right? It's easier to serve people who are loving, people who serve you, who meet your needs, who make you feel good. It's not so easy when, when there's not even a thank you. Totally inconsiderate. But let's go beyond that. Now think about when uh, the people that you serve hurt you. Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Check this out. This, this is crazy. The passage says, Jesus washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And what is amazing to me is what it does not say. It does not say, Jesus washed their feet except for Judas' feet because Judas was a jerk. It doesn't say that. 
Jesus washes Judas's feet. I mean, the passage makes it absolutely crystal clear that Judas already decided to betray Jesus and that Jesus knew it. And what does Jesus do? He washes Judas's feet. Judas is known as the son of perdition. Another translation or another, another phrase is the son of damnation. He is about to sell out Jesus and Jesus knows it. And Jesus washes Judas's feet. So how about us? Do we wash the feet of that jerk at work, our rude neighbor, that person that doesn't appreciate anything anyone does for them? Jesus challenges us to love the way he does. And we don't. I know I don't. So typically, messages, preaching, sermons will be, look at Jesus. He was a great example. Now go do it. Let's pray. You're dismissed. We can't do that. That's not enough. There's no power in that. That'll just condemn you. You'll either walk out of here totally disillusioned because you know that you can't do it, or walk out of here totally delusional thinking that you can't. So, we need to see where this power comes from, right? And, and to begin, we need to look at why do we fail so badly? That's our next, if you're, next one if you're following along. Why do we fail so badly? Every single day, we have two problems. First, there's pride. Pride says, I have more important things to do, or that person hurt me. Pride says, I will not wash feet. The other problem is fear. And fear says, you know what, I'm barely holding on to myself. Or, or if I get involved, when will it end? Or, or people might take advantage of me. So pride says, I will not wash feet. And, and fear says, I cannot wash feet. And so what is the cause of, of pride and fear that keeps us loving the way that Jesus does? In a word, emptiness. Now, we don't want to think about it, but we have to think about it. We don't love like this because of our own emptiness. And let me explain. We all hunger for love. We all hunger for respect. We, we wish that, that, that people would see us with all of our flaws, everything about us, and for them to not blink, for them to not hesitate, for them not to pause, and to hear them say, regardless, I don't care, I'm still proud to be your brother, I'm proud to be your sister, uh, you know, you're, I love you always, um, we're going to be family forever, I'm here to serve you no matter what. We long, that, that kind of love from somebody is, is life-giving. And if we don't know that kind of love, he can't give that kind of love because he can't give something that you don't have. We're empty, and so we have this tendency to use people for what they can do for us, and a lot of times, it's like without even thinking about it. So why in the world is Jesus able to wash feet? Even Judas's feet. Well, look what it says. It says, Jesus knowing that he was going back to God, rose from supper and began to wash his disciples' feet. So, 
He knows he's going back to God. He is thinking about his father and returning to his father. His heart is not empty. He is filled with the father's love. And that love overflows to others. If you're empty, you will not love like this. If, you don't, if we don't love like this, it's because our hearts are not overflowing with the love of the Father. But when you are filled with God's love, your pride gets replaced with humility. Your fear gets replaced with, with confidence. Your emptiness gets replaced with true satisfaction. When you know the love of God, when you experience the love of God, you are satisfied in him. And you don't have to use other people to fill the emptiness in your heart. You just love them. So how does your heart get filled with God's love so that you can love the way Jesus does? Where does that power come from? Because right now I can't do this. It's impossible. In fact, it sounds unreasonable. Where do you get the power to love. That's our third section if you're taking notes. Where do you get the power to love? To wash feet like Jesus. Well, to wash feet like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, your feet need to be washed by Jesus. When he washes the feet of his disciples, it points to something. It wasn't just some kind of random act of kindness that was kind of humble and, and uh, you know, you know, God, Jesus wasn't just being an example of what it means and looks like to, to be a servant. It, it, it's more than that here. Jesus washing his disciples' feet points to something. Verse 7, Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand. Like, you think I'm just washing feet here. You think I'm just being a good example here, whatever. But what I am doing, you do not understand. But afterwards, you will. One commentator writes, that Jesus' foot washing was a prophetic act, a prophetic act that points to something. What does it point to? Well, Jesus' illustration points us to what we need. And we get three clues here, right? First clue that we see, foot washing is offensive. Let me explain. Verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? Now, this was such a menial job in that day, that culture was reserved for the lowliest of servants. In fact, rabbis taught that Jewish servants should never wash somebody else's feet. That was reserved for the Gentile slaves. Now, why do you think none of the disciples volunteered for this job? I mean, and, and their, their, their shock is not so much that Jesus is doing something that, that they should have volunteered uh, to do, but Jesus flips their world upside down. And here's why. There is no record in any Jewish literature or Greco-Roman literature of a superior ever washing the feet of an inferior. It just didn't happen. So... This Messiah that they've been waiting for. This, this deliverer that's been promised. The, the one who is the son of God. 
their king shows up and washes feet and is seen as a despised and rejected slave. That is not what we wanted. (laughs) He's washing feet for the good of others. I mean, this is totally, completely so opposite of all of their cultural expectations that Peter and the other disciples find it offensive. This is not, this is not our Messiah. This is not what we were expecting. So in verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Don't you know who you are? This is below you. You're supposed to be a king, right? But Jesus said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. So all this is pointing to something else. Here's our second clue. Foot washing is necessary. Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Again in verse 8, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is saying, if you're going to have a relationship with me and share in all that I have to offer you, I must wash you. It is necessary. And the third clue, foot washing, has something to do with the cleansing of sin. Verse 9, Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. This is typical Peter. He says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And then three seconds later, he's asking for a bath. So calmly, in verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you And the one exception, of course, is who? It's Judas. Jesus is saying, whoever has identified with me is completely cleansed. Cleansed of sin. They don't need a bath. Just a regular washing of their feet. And so when Jesus washes feet, he's using an illustration that points to something that is offensive, something that is necessary, and something that has to do with the cleansing of sin. And so what does it point to? Jesus' illustration points to the cross. The cross is offensive. The Apostle Paul writes that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul goes on to say that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus did not become sinful, but he was treated as if he had committed all of the sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. And Jesus died on the cross in your place so that you could be washed. Man. So, why couldn't God just, you know, forgive us? I mean, if he is God, he can do anything, right? No. Because, second, the cross was necessary. Jesus had to die on the cross 
for our sin. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Deep down, we all know this. Deep down, we all know that justice demands that sin be punished. That's why we're outraged when a rapist skates on a technicality. God is a just judge, so all sin must be punished. But God is also a loving father and doesn't want to punish you. So what's the solution? The solution is the cross. God punishes your sin without punishing you. Jesus took the judgment upon himself. I mean, that should fill you with with relief and deep love and loyalty. You know, for all eternity, God the Father and God the Son experienced a perfect relationship of love. But then the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I I can see why a father would love his son so much he would give him the world. But it's hard to imagine that a father would love the world so much that he would give up his son. I mean, that doesn't just, that just doesn't sound right. But this is the mystery of the gospel. The father did give his son because it was the only way that we could be washed and filled with the love of God. And he did it because he chose to love you, even though it cost him everything. He chose to love you out of sheer grace and mercy. Nothing you could ever do to earn it. He just chose to love you. Man, if you believe that, when you believe that, it changes you. I mean, it changes your whole perspective on your life. It changes your priorities. I mean, it just changes your heart. I mean, when you see that God chose to love you, even when you were an enemy of God, even when you rejected God, neglected God, even when you didn't want to have anything to do with him, and yet he chose to love you sacrificially, gave up everything so that you could be adopted into his family and share the riches of Christ. I mean, when you hear that he saved you from eternal judgment, I mean, when we reflect on that, when we sing about that, when we listen about that, uh, when, when the word is preached or when you read your scriptures, I mean, that should stir up your heart in a way to have so much love the Father and to experience so much of the love of the Father that then you can even you can even love the neighbor who hates you. You're like, man, you know, I, I mean, I, I know you hate me, but man, I, I want you to know, I want you to know the love of God and the difference it can make in, in your life. And you share the love and truth of God in them in a way that's from a heart that's filled just with total satisfaction from having a a relationship with with God the Father. You don't view them as your enemies anymore. An enemy that you have to fight. But it's people who can be changed and God will change you in the process. So, now, last section. If you get that, Ask yourself, how will I live it out? 
Well, Jesus gets real practical. In verse 10, he says, um, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So, first, you need a bath. The moment that you admit that your sin makes you dirty, specifically the sin of not loving like this, the moment that you trust in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus washes you. That means you are completely clean. Your sin is washed away. You no longer need a bath. And God the Father now views you as being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But then you need regular washing of the feet. We fall short of loving this way every single day. And so every day we need to go to him and again freely admit that you are dirty. And once again you look to the cross. And once again you see his love and his grace and his sacrifice uh, for you. And then you're filled with the wonder of the love of Christ. And then you can know that the love of Christ cannot be held back. It will flow, and it will flow to others, and you will be surprised that, that you, you are now joyfully taking on the role of a despised servant and washing the feet of others, even people who do not like you. So I want to ask you, man, I just I want you to realize, as we, this, is, this is rich, this, this is down-to-earth theology. The truth about God and that causes us to know him more is not just some mental exercise for us to ponder. And then we go about our lives as if nothing changed. No, this changes your heart, therefore it changes your life. Right? So there's an expectation here that we will respond to God's love that he's already given to us. We don't have to earn it. My question is, how will you live this out this week? Not just think about it, but think about it and live it out. How will you specifically live this out this week? What is it that's coming to, to mind? I want to encourage you to pray. God, show me how you want me to live this out. And then he might put a face of somebody in your mind, and your first reaction might be, oh, nope, not him. He's on my exceptions list. The Holy Spirit is alive and well within you. Who's the Holy Spirit leading you to reach out to and, and to love? And indiscriminately with true grace and love from a heart that's overflowing with the love of the Father. What comes to mind? I mean, I mean write it down. Ask somebody to pray with you about it. And this could look different for everybody depending on, depending on the, the station of life you're in. Maybe you have lots of energy and, and, the, and, and you're healthy and, and all that and, and you have extra, extra time. And so, so what you do might be different than what my wife does when she's sick in bed all the time praying for her neighbors and then just trying to make some contact with them every now and then 
and it leads to a stronger relationship. I mean, you know what? It's going to be different for everybody. I mean, one, one you know, uh, the Stuhlmiller family especially encourages me. Pastor Josh Stuhlmiller and his family, he's like the pastor of his street. And he's, they, their family has effectively, you know, reached their, their whole neighborhood and all their neighbors. He knows them all. And, like, I remember uh, there's four times a year where he'll, he'll bring in a taco guy in a tent. And, and um, you know, he works at Stone, so he has, you know, a free keg there. And, then, and he's got, you know, games for the kids and everything. They all come over and they hang out. They get to know each other. And it's not just hanging out. He'll have them show up. And he invites, look, this is all this, you know, all free tacos and beer, whatever. Uh, we encourage you, if you can, to drop off a backpack filled with school supplies because we're going to give it to the foster kids. And they do it. <laughs> Atheists across the street don't believe in God, but they, had, they lost somebody, a, a family member, passed away, and they called him over to talk with them, to talk them through it. And he's praying with them and for them. I mean, he does this four times, four times a year. And, and all, on all the other weekends, his garage door is open and, and he's you know, hanging out in the garage and people come over and, and, and hang out and he has endless opportunities to talk to them about who God is and what he has done. I mean, maybe, maybe you can start imagining that for your life if you're, if, if you're in a place that could do something like that. And maybe you can't imagine yourself, you know... <laughs> doing that, but you can work with somebody. You know what? Every single Friday, every single Saturday, we hand out thousands of pounds of food. Every, every Friday at, at uh, 12 noon, is that right? And then every Saturday at 10 a.m., right? Well, we not only need volunteers, especially on Saturday, heavy boxes, thousands of pounds. We need people who are healthy, who can, who can help transfer the food into the cafe and whatnot. Um, but we also need people who will hang out and befriend the people who are in line. People who will just get to know them. And if you speak Spanish, even better. Because we have a lot of people who, who show up, there's a bit of a language barrier. We need you. Share that friendship with them. Ask for ways that you can pray with them and for them, and it, it can and just come on a regular basis so they can, they can get to know you. If that's more your speed, I want you to talk to Peggy right here. Why don't you wave at everybody, Peggy, and so everybody knows who you are? Yeah, see her afterwards and say, "I don't know how much I can help, but I want your phone number, or I want you to have my number so that we can schedule something. I, I want to see if this is, is something that I, I can get involved with. See her; they need help. So if you think that's something you can do, don't just think about it. Go talk to her. Additionally, we, we, of course, we still need more help in the kids' ministry. Especially if you have kids in that ministry. If, if you can help chip in to this service, this ministry that's serving your kids, if you can chip in and help out, we encourage you. And let me tell you something. This kind of ministry, it's going to be inconvenient. You might not get the recognition that, that you, might, you might want. It might be a sacrifice. That sounds a lot like the kind of love Jesus is calling us to. You cannot do it unless your heart is bursting with the love of the Father. Just make sure you begin by being, being absolutely blown away by who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross. Then you can serve like this. 
then you'll have the love to serve like this. Then you can start loving others the way Jesus would if he were in your shoes. Do that this week. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?